0: So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, John Najarian. Thank you very much. The mic will just make it easier because it's a big room. Otherwise, um, one of the gifts of being a floor trader is I don't usually need a mic or an amplifier to project my voice across the room. Um, As Larry said, my name is John Najarian. Um, I'm the president of Mercury Trading. I'm going to give you guys a little bit of a flavor for what it's like to be a pit trader. I'm going to give you some good strategies that you guys can employ, the same strategies we use every day as pit traders down there on the floor. And I'm going to give you guys a little background on how I got here and uh, sort of what, what the life of a pit trader is. Um, and if I could, the, one other thing I need since they're out of water in the back, if I could have somebody get me a glass of water. That'd be fabulous. Thank you. Um, so anyway, I came to the Chicago Board Options Exchange by a circuitous route. I came there actually to play football for the Chicago Bears. Um, I, was an, uh, I mean, it was one of my passions as I was growing up. It still is today, football. And I wanted to play football. I was a free agent. And one of the best opportunities that was available to me was to play football for the Chicago Bears because, quite frankly, they sucked. And if you're a football player, a free agent, where you get a choice on where you want to play, you're going to pick a spot where it seems you're most likely going to be able to play. So that's why I chose the Chicago Bears, because the team was, as it sort of is now, in a state of uh, rebuilding. That's the nice way they put it, uh, just like the market is in a state of rebuilding today. Um, And knock on wood, Friday was a good day for the market, so hopefully we'll see a few more of those. But anyway, not so good times for the Bears in 1981. Which is when I came out of school. But I came to the Chicago Bears and actually spent four preseason games playing linebacker for the Bears. Um, I was lucky enough to go there because the starting middle linebacker for the Bears in his off seasons, he would go to the Chicago Mercantile Exchange and trade, trade futures. And he was making more money trading futures in his offseason than he was playing football for the Chicago Bears. I think he was making 200000 225000 playing for the Bears, and he's making more money in the offseason trading futures. And he wasn't getting the crap kicked out of him every Sunday and didn't have to sit there in meetings uh, and having coaches scream at him and all that. You could just do all the screaming on the floor. So this guy whose name, his last name was Hicks, I think it was Tom Hicks, uh, decided, you know what, Bears, take your job and shove it. I'm not coming back. And the Bears thought he was bluffing, but he never came back. So Mike Singletary, who the Bears drafted in the second round that year, decided that this would present a pretty good opportunity for him to use some leverage, something, like I say, that we'll be talking about today with options. Um, so Mike Singletary definitely used that leverage to get a better contract. He held out during training camp, and that's why I got to play, basically. When the Mike finally signed his contract and came in and showed the Bears what he was made of, Uh, they made the uh, erroneous decision to keep him and cut me. And so, as my mother would always say, it's what kept me out of the Hall of Fame. Um, But anyway, uh, luckily it brought me to Chicago, and one of the factors that convinced me to be a floor trader, in fact, was every day we'd be out there practicing in the blazing summer sun, and all the guys who were out there watching us were stockbrokers. Uh, Because who else, is other, other than people that are unemployed and they go watch the Cubs most of the time, But unless you're unemployed, the only people who are done with their day at 3 o'clock in the afternoon are stockbrokers. And most professional football teams practice at about 4 in the afternoon, so most of us are still working. So this group sort of endeared themselves to me as far as I wanted to be one of them. I said, if I'm going to end my football career in the way that I did, because I had opportunities to go up and play in Canada and I really didn't want to do that, Um, the money wasn't good enough, not for the beating you take playing pro football. And I was a linebacker, so that's kind of like in the middle of the meat grinder. Um, I decided I, if I can't play pro football, I'd like to be a stockbroker, maybe. Even though my background was, I was going to be an architect when I came out of college. I was gonna. I had one more year to finish. In, to get the, you have to do five years to get that uh, architecture degree, and I had only done the four, so I hadn't finished the architecture degree. But I got an undergraduate degree, and. My choices were go back, get an undergrad, or finish that architecture degree, or come down to the Chicago Board Options Exchange, because my agent said, if you want to be a stockbroker, John, because of the hours, you'd love trading down in the pits. Because, he said, there you get to use your physicality, you get to use your aggressiveness and all this, yelling and screaming and all that stuff. He said, you'd like it a lot more than sitting behind a desk, trust me. And he was right about that. It's one of the few things my uh, agent was right about. Um, But he was right about that. And so, in 1981, in October, I came down to the floor of the Chicago Board Options Exchange. Knew nothing about options at all. I knew a little bit about stocks, but I knew nothing about options. I'd be the first to say it. And unfortunately, um, options were much more of a secret back then. People that knew things about options uh, didn't share it very readily, because it could make you too much money. Um, And so, the Board of Trade, who started the Chicago Board Options Exchange in 1973, was the place I went to get my membership. And this is an example of how, for instance, Walter Payton, um, a great guy uh, who was a fabulous bear and just a great personality in Chicago. Walter Payton um, was one of the reasons I got to be a member so quickly at the Board of Trade. Because the Board of Trade makes you go in this star chamber and interview before you can become a member. You have to have two members basically write their name in blood um, in this big book before you can become a member of the board of trade they have to swear by you they have to say this guy's good for his word uh, because there aren't any cameras on the floor recording what we do so you can make a trade across the pit for a million dollars and at the end of the day that other guy's coming into you for that trade he doesn't want to hear that no i don't know what you're talking about i mean that your word is your bond on the floor so that's why they're so strict on this membership thing and that's also why the board of trade If you showed up dressed like I am here today, wearing my trading jacket, uh, the Board of Trade would throw you out of the interview. They'd say, get out of here. The interview said, come in business attire. And that's obviously not business attire, John, is it? So I knew all these tricks, or a lot of those tricks, before I went into the meeting, luckily. And I heard people in the meeting, while I was waiting to be interviewed, that didn't understand all the rules just that way, and they were just getting their heads torn off by the committee. Because the committee's not shy. They'll say, "Uh, Danny, didn't it say that you had to come in a business attire, and here you show up, embarrassing this committee by showing up in a smock? No respect at all, you don't read the rules, why should we make you a member? I mean, they'll just, and the guy will just come out of there, you know, just shaking with his hand, you know, his head in his hands coming out of the room, because they'll they'll embarrass the crap out of you, basically. So luckily, I knew some of those rules before I went in there, and uh, had my suit on, went in there, said yes sir, no sir, And he said john i have two questions for you he said the first question is it says here you played football for the chicago bears is that true i said yes and he said second question is Did you ever tackle walter payton and i said yes and he said well congratulations you're a member of the board of trade (laughs) so even though walter didn't have to pat anybody on the back for me or uh, uh, use any of his uh, considerable leverage luckily just by being associated with walter payton I got to be a member of the Board of Trade. I mean, obviously I had to pass the rest of their rigorous stuff, but it certainly helped knowing Walter Payton. Anyway, when I came to the floor in 1981, there were only about 80 stocks that had options on them. And as I say, it was a bit of a secret how to trade options on stocks. It was so much of a secret, folks, that those of you who have traded options before, um, there weren't put options on every stock in 1981. Only about... 60% of the stocks that were listed had put options trading on them in 1981. They were adding them slowly, sort of like we're today adding LEAPs, those long-term equity anticipation securities. And because of that, LEAPs were so misunderstood, and no one really wanted to trade them because it was anti-American. Who wants to bet on the market going down? And obviously in 81, the market was only at 800. The Dow was at 800, so there was considerably less downside fear than there was, or than there is today, with the market at 10,000 and change. But when when I started to trade down there, seats, and this is what our seat looks like by the way, we don't get a chair like you guys out here, nothing fancy, all you get is a badge. You can own this badge or you can lease it. Most traders choose to lease the badge because in 1981 this was $110,000. Today it's a little over half a million dollars, and it leases for 2% a month. So obviously 2 times 500,000, it's $10,000 a month. gets drafted out of your account electronically the very first trading day of the month. All that money comes out. And I've got over 20 some odd traders on the floor of the SIBO, so you can imagine how happy I am the first day of each month when a quarter million disappears out of my account to pay for all these seats that we're leasing. It's it's a nasty day. Anyway, The fact that there were only 81 stocks and there were no indexes there was not the s p 500 there was not the uh uh, nasdaq 100 none of these indexes had options trading on them today to give you know to spin the clock ahead today we've got 1400 stocks that trade on the chicago board options exchange 1400 stocks and we've got fewer traders than we had in 1981. that's because the cboe bought the Midwest Options Exchange, they had 400 members. We bought them and said, you got seven years to trade here and then you guys are out. So they traded on our floor for seven years and now they're gone, or some of their members stayed, but they had to move on to our seats. So you just took the thing down from 1,800 members to 1,400 members. Meanwhile, we've doubled the number, and doubled, we've gone uh, uh, several multiples higher on the number of stocks that you trade. So the traders, when I got, came into the business, Being real good in math was very important. Being good with fractions. You know, a quarter and a quarter, three eighths and a quarter is five eighths and blah, blah, blah. You had to know that in a fraction of a second because that was what it was all about. Speed, how fast you could put fractions together. In particular, if you were trading spreads. If you're trading this 65 call versus this 75 call, each of those of course has a bid and an offer. I'll get into that in a moment. But uh, this one might be four and a quarter bid, offered at four and a half. This one might be seven bid offered at seven and a half. You had to be able to very quickly turn that into two and three quarters a half or whatever, two and three quarters, three and a half on that spread, or you wouldn't be the guy that the broker made the trade with. Whoever could put those things together the fastest was who the broker would trade with. So as you can imagine, multitasking, being able to do multiple things in your head at the same time was very important. And that's why some of the traders were bringing on professional bridge players, professional chess players, Um, backgammon players, and my agent brought on professional athletes. Not necessarily because he thought they'd be great at fractions, but because it's also a physical game. Um, I'll I'll show you a couple pictures in a minute, but what we do trading down on the floor is very physical. Um, We're standing down there in a pit, and imagine this for a moment, you're down there in a pit with a bunch of guys who think it's good luck to wear the same clothes that made them money yesterday, (laughs) and the day before, and the day before. So when you're down there on the floor, first of all, everybody wears a smock or a jacket like this. Everybody has a different color, and you want it to be something that gets attention. So as I've been walking around the casino wearing this jacket today, I can tell you that even here in Vegas, a glitzy town like this, this jacket gets attention. Everybody also has to have an acronym. I chose Dr. J, D-R-J. You can choose up to three letters. If you were a dinosaur that was there when the exchange started, the Board of Trade in like 1840-something or 1850. Um, you have a single letter acronym like A or B or something like that. And most of those guys, of course, through the legacy of their grandson and so forth, have passed on those acronyms, but anybody else has either two or three letter acronyms. And this is the only Dr. J in the whole United States. No one else can have that acronym. Uh, The New York Stock Exchange, they don't have acronyms, by the way. They have numbers. They have just badges with numbers on them. So it'll say Spear Leads 1004 or whatever and it's the membership number on their badges. But most of the options exchanges have uh, handles like this. You might have hot on that side of the crowd, or dip on this side of the crowd, or whatever. Somebody will try to come up, not just with their um, acronym for their initials of their name, but they'll try to come up with something that you'll remember when you're trading with them across the pit. So anyway, all these folks down there on the floor, some of them are wearing jackets like this. This means that my trades are guaranteed by Goldman Sachs. Anybody who trades with me doesn't matter um, because I can make a trade with a guy across the pit um, who's guaranteed by Charles Schwab or a guy guaranteed by Merrill Lynch or a guy guaranteed by um, EDF Mann or whatever. Every jacket color denotes who is guaranteeing that person's trades. That way it doesn't matter when you come on the floor if you've got $50,000 in your account or $50 million in your account because a multi-billion dollar firm is saying this guy's good for whatever he trades. And as you can imagine, especially days like Thursday and Friday, the swings can be enormous in our accounts. Um, we can we look at our trades second by second, and I basically blank out the column for our traders that shows the P&L second by second, because it would just frustrate them too much. I don't like looking at it that much either, but um, to see these numbers moving, I mean, Friday, for instance, I was on a minute-by-minute basis, our position just in the S&P 500. We have a big position in the S&P 500 and a big one in the NASDAQ. And minute by minute, it was flipping $200,000 either way. We're up or down $200,000 just on the whims of the market because we've got pretty big positions on down there, and obviously those two days are rather extremes. But anyway, all these traders down there on the floor, many of them have superstitions. Mine is I won't trade 13. If you sell me 13, I'll buy 12 and I'll buy one. Uh, I won't buy a 13 lot. And these hand signals, if you're pulling towards yourself, you're buying, you're throwing your hands away from yourself, you're selling. So what looks to you guys as chaos down there on, in any of the floors, Chicago Mercantile Exchange, CBOE, Board of Trade, what looks like chaos is actually similar to a ballet, at least for us, because these guys are signaling near-term options, mid-term options, far-term options, and every time they touch the bottom of their face down here in the chin area, this is just one. If I touch the top of my head, it's 10 times as much. This is 1, this is 10. This is 2 lots, this is 20 lots. If I'm buying 22, I give you the big number first. 22. If I'm selling, I just do them away from me like this. So all those different signals that these guys are doing, they're doing because in some of the pits, it's deafeningly loud. Especially days like Thursday and Friday. Actually, this whole week was deafeningly loud. If you were standing in the Dow Jones, if you were standing in the NASDAQ pit, because... You're packed in there so tight, folks, the guys are holding their hands like this in the pits. If they put their hands down and a broker screams something across the pit, they can't get their hand up fast enough so they'll miss the trade. So they have to sit there all day like this with their uh, stylus. They don't use pens anymore because almost all of our trading is electronic. Almost, let's see, 90% of the orders that come into the CBOE and get reported back to your brokerage firms and so forth have come in and gone back electronically not written down on a piece of paper. So the traders are just sitting there with these handheld computers, tapping away like crazy on these handheld computers, the number of shares they want to go buy on the New York Stock Exchange, and the number of shares they want to sell, whatever they're doing to hedge themselves um, when they do a trade with you. So these guys are all standing in the pit like this, broker comes in, sell, buy them. And that's why, by the way, um, that those guys on the floor, that I am not your competition. One thing that I'd like to get across Uh, to you guys. I'll steal this one. Oh, okay. One of the things I'd like to get across to you guys is that the traders on the floor aren't your competition. My competition are the other 1,400 members on the floor. Because you guys, no matter what system you're coming through, for the time being, maybe for another year or longer, can't buy and sell, can't basically do a spread in like a second, but I can. I can hear the Merrill Lynch broker come in on that side of the pit hear him bid an option, and remember that 10 minutes ago the Fidelity broker on this side of the pit offered a different option. Different strike prices and so forth. So at the right moment, just as I see the stock starting to move, I can say, buy him at a half, sold him at a quarter. You can't do that. And because you can't do that, you're not my competition. My time frame when we make a trade as a, as a floor trader is 10 to 15 seconds. I don't care what's going to happen in two days or two weeks. I care about 10 to 15 seconds until I can get hedged, because that's what we do for a living. We're basically described many times as people that run back and forth in front of a bulldozer, picking up dimes. That's what we do. We try to pick up thousands of dimes back and forth in front of the bulldozer. If I sit there in front of the bulldozer and go, oh, I think I'll just sit here and pick up the... I'm going to get crushed. I mean, it doesn't matter if I'm trading JDS Uniphase, or if I'm trading Yahoo, if I'm trading AOL, I'll get crushed. If I stand in the way and just say, I know more than the market, I'm just going to stand here and sell, I'll get crushed. So next to none of the traders on the floor are cowboys. These guys are hedging second by second, 15 seconds, 30 seconds or a minute is a lifetime to me. I mean, that's how fast we're going. From the time I say sold and I go to hedge that trade that I've just done with your broker, um, I've either found another option in the pit that I want to use as a hedge or I'm tapping on my handheld computer and sending an order to the New York Stock Exchange, gets there in a little under two seconds from my wireless LAN computer till it gets to the New York Stock Exchange specialist. If I'm trading, I'm doing the same thing as you guys, if I'm trading NASDAQ, I can go directly on an ECN, and I'm getting there, I'm taking the offer, I'm hitting the bid, or I'm sending it directly to a NASDAQ dealer that I have a relationship with, and I'm doing that again within that 10 to 15 seconds. So like I say, that's why I'm not your competition. I don't have margin. This is the biggest reason that I'm not your competition. I, you guys want to buy 1,000 shares of IBM at 115 bucks a share. You've got to put up $115,000. If you buy it on margin, you've got to put up half of that. To do that same trade, 1,000 shares of IBM at 115 bucks, I don't have to put up 115000 I don't have to put up 55000 or 57500 I I have to put up a little under $700 to do that same trade because the SEC gives me specialist relief. So I do not have Reg T, which is what the Exchange Act of 1934 put in motion that causes you guys to have to put up 50%. Because before then, like Will Rogers used to say, you buy a stock, and if it goes up, you pay for it. Um, up until then, of course, in, before the crash, they didn't always pay for the stock, and when it didn't go up, they just said, oh, it's too bad, take it. Um, now you gotta put up 50% to protect the system so that the system doesn't fall apart like it did in 1929. And it's one of the reasons, by the way, that I'm a, I think that these single stock futures are crap. Um, I think unless you're a super, super disciplined person, single stock futures are gonna kill a lot more people than they're gonna help, because all of a sudden you guys will be in my leverage. It's not that I resent the competition, because again, because I'm standing on the floor and because I don't have margin, you're still not my competition, but all of a sudden if you guys are trading 20 to one leverage, Um, like you might be trading if you were trading options on JDSU or options on Cisco or whatever. All of a sudden, if that stock makes a 10% correction, that broker's saying, you know, put up 10,000 bucks today or you're out. Um, Many of you who have traded futures know what that's like. Those margin calls are worse than stock margin calls because it keeps happening over and over and over until that thing starts moving up. And I think it would have blown out a bulk of the people that would have been trading stock futures from September 1st until October 12th, I think most of them would have been blown out. I know not everybody would have been buying them, but anybody who bought would have been killed during that time frame with these stock futures because the leverage is too extreme. we can get into that in a minute. Um, What I'm going to ask for a moment, though, is at the end of this, uh, before we finish, I'm going to ask for questions. If you have a question that's important, and you might, sir, if you have a question that you think is important right now, I'd be glad to address it. Otherwise, what I guess I'd rather do is go through as much of this as possible to give you guys the whole presentation and then answer your questions at the end. Is that okay? Okay. But if it is important, you know, please ask the question because maybe your neighbor has the same question and I don't want you to forget it at the very end. Otherwise, I'd rather answer the questions at the end. Um, What we do when we're trading and how we make our money, most of our money, um, it's no big secret, of course, we make it on the bid-ask spread. If I'm in an extremely busy stock, like here's some of the stocks that I'm the option specialist in. Um, Sun Microsystems, Micron Technology, uh, let's see, Juniper Networks, America Online, Gateway Computer. You know, if it's a high-tech, biotech stock, Biogen, um, Appometrics, I mean, we probably are one of the specialists for it. Um, as Larry said when he introduced me, we've, because of the leverage we have, we trade about $150 million worth of stock and options every day. Um, And we're not Goldman Sachs, we're not Spear Leads, and we're not any of those big firms. So you can imagine if you've got a lot of firms like mine down there flipping back and forth hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of stock every minute, that there's a lot that narrows the spread, that's what the market maker's function is. If you go into a stock that's got a spread this wide, I guarantee it's a roach motel. One of those stocks you check in and you can't check out. And the same thing with the options. I can't make a narrow market for you in the options if the stock quote is, you know, a half point wide. My, my option quote is not gonna be a teeny bit offered at an eighth, it's gonna be, you know, a teeny bit offered at five teenies or offered at nine teenies or whatever. It's gonna be a wide spread because we're a derivative of the underlying. The more liquid the underlying, I mean, you can get 5,000 up markets in AOL. 5,000 up means, of course, 5,000 contracts on the bid or on the offer, sometimes 10,000 up in that stock. You can do it because there's 50 guys that want to trade that stock, and it trades like water. I mean, it's extremely liquid stock. You go on the other side to less liquid names, um, like sometimes JDSU can be, although now that it's fallen, it's much more liquid at this price than it was up there, you know, at the $130 level. But those stocks um, that have the wider spreads can sometimes have relatively reasonable spreads on the options too, um, if there's enough competition, if there's enough order flow. Um, And one of the favors your brokers can do you is kind of tell you which stocks have uh, liquidity enough where you're going to be able to get out and which stocks really are a roach motel because there's a lot of bad stocks like that that might look good to you on paper doing your analysis but could just be a horrible stock for you to get in and trade. But we make, as I say, most of our money standing down there on the floor, bidding four and an eighth and offering them at four and three eighths. Let's say that's a relatively tight market. Not super tight, it's just a reasonable market probably. If it was an illiquid stock, it might be four and an eighth, five eighths. But so it's four and an eighth bid offered at four and three eighths. Your order comes into the pit electronically 90% of the time, no matter who you're using. Using my firm, PTI um, that? I'm wondering, that's the one from my computer, right? On the screen right now? Okay. Um, if you're coming in through PTI Um, or if you're coming in through Fidelity, or if you're coming in through uh, Merrill Lynch, it doesn't matter. That order hits that screen electronically in the pit, and unless it's an automatic execution where you're buying the offer or selling the bid, if on my market, four and an eighth bid offered at four and three-eighths, that market hits that screen, that broker's going to verbalize that market to the crowd. Quarter bid! Quarter bid for 50! Now the crowd might say, if I just bought them at four and an eighth, and this looks like the first bid I've seen in a while, I might cut the market and say so. Otherwise, if the stock looks like it's ticking up, I might say, hey, Joe, take a look at the screen. Stock looking like it's going. I'm not even gonna be at 3 8 for long. I'm four and a quarter, your, your quarter bid, I'm offered at 3 8, but only for a little bit because it looks like the stock's moving because all day long, that's what these guys are doing, moving back and forth with the stock moving up and down. And in fact, the computer puts up most of the quotes that you see on the screen from us. As you can imagine, If There are only 1,400 traders and there are that many stocks. I'm the specialist in nearly 90 stocks on our floor. And some of those stocks have like 90 different strikes. Everything, you know, especially a little bit ago when uh, um, some of the stocks before they had the big splits like Qualcomm before it had the splits and Yahoo before it had its splits, we had strikes all the way from $5 a share up to 500. Every five points fives, tens, fifteens, twenties, twenty-fives, thirties, all the way up and down. Can you imagine sitting there yelling at the quote clerk, move those by an eighth, move these by a quarter, move those by an eighth, move these by a quarter? I mean, it would be just stupid, it'd be chaos. The computer does it. Every time the stock trades on the offer, the computer moves up all the call options, drops all the put options by the exact amount we've told it to do. So that's why, when, we're, when many times, if you think the market makers are fading you, not trading with you, believe me, if you're coming in through a customer firm like Schwab, E-Trade, Ameritrade, whatever, um, they're going to trade with you, unless your order gets there late, because the market's already moved, and the market you're looking at is a stale quote because there's so damn many quotes streaming out that they can't keep up. If you could click the key, I'm going to show you guys a little bit of, for instance, this is what one of the pits looks like. This um, is post three, but as you can see, the screens are stacked up above the traders in the pit. The big, huge difference between this and futures pits. Futures pits have no screens around them. They have huge walls on any, either end of the floor that have various uh, data on the walls, but no screens with all the strikes for calls and puts like these have. And they'll have CNBC on, run, running on one of the screens. They'll have CNN running on another screen and this picture was taken a couple of years ago, now we've got four levels of screens stacked up there. So we've got 4,400 21-inch monitors on the floor, sitting there, that's, you know, that's one of the reasons my hairline is done. I mean, I glow during the week because there's so much radiation just pouring down on me. Um, these, uh, in fact, we've got more telephone lines, like you can see right here, one of the brokers on a telephone, we've got more telephone lines than the uh, capital of Illinois down in Springfield. Over 70,000 phone lines come into our floor. Extremely high tech. And these guys, as I said, one of the negative things about... This is before trading started, actually, um, before the day starts. Once that pit fills up and the guys are standing in there like this, imagine how fortunate you are to stand next to a guy who's had three winning days in a row and has worn the same shirt, socks, everything for the last three days. Everybody has these little quirks. One of our traders... Um, was one of those guys that liked wearing the same clothes every day when he was winning. One day, after a few weeks after his honeymoon, he came home, got in the living room, took off all his clothes. His wife figures, okay, it's still the honeymoon. Um, and he cut them up with scissors and threw them out the window. Threw his shoes out the window, threw everything out the window. And I asked him why he didn't shave his head. But uh, he threw everything out the window because he said, I'm never trading with that stuff on again. So a lot of these guys... Um, it's a very unique environment to be trading down there with all the screaming and the yelling, and yet, like I say, there's, it's not chaos. These guys are just very, very disciplined, slamming the stock back and forth when they're going to hedge what they've just done. So this is what the CBOE looks like. You're seeing about a quarter of the floor in that shot. Okay? Um, this is what my specialists use on the floor. It's a system that I call iTradeEm. We created it. In fact, my brokerage firm, PTI, in the back of the room, um, we're launching our uh, online version of this, called iTradeM.com, where we give customers the same kind of tools like a CyberCorp does, except CyberCorp, if there's anybody from there in here, you guys don't have this. Um, This column right here in the middle, as you can see, is the black column that I've highlighted, is the Delta column. That tells our guys how long or short they are in every stock that they're trading. This particular trader, um, back in December, was trading about 30 different stocks and the computer's monitoring everything for him. Everything from he wanted to hedge, meaning he wanted to sell options or sell stock, every time he got over 500 deltas long or short, he can set it up on auto hedge, where it just generates a market order to buy or sell every time an order comes in and he trades. Um, And it's got all these different, I mean, if you've traded options, you know this column Gamma, that's the rate of change of delta. You're getting longer and longer as the stock goes up. You're long gamma. You're a happy guy. If this is a negative number like this one, you're going to get shorter on the way up and longer on the way down, meaning you've got negative curvature. And if you're a neophyte to this, that's okay. I'm not going to talk over your head too much, but that's just some of the Greeks and so forth we display for the guys. This over here, um, this area here, raised trades, These are trades that we sign up for as specialists on the floor, that I'm obligating myself to every quote on my screen. You can buy it or sell it. You can hit my bid or take my offer electronically. Many of you who are active traders have used this through whoever your broker is, and that's called RAISE on our exchange, Retail Automated Execution System. The Amex has a similar version, the PCOS does too, and we've got operations on those two places, but this particular thing is telling me For instance, that bottom trade right there says S5MBK. That means he sold 5MBK. 5 is the month, so that's May. 5 May of 2000. 15 calls if it was puts. Right there. Oh, did somebody have... Oh, thank you very much. That's fabulous. Thank you. I'll try. I won't wear it out. Uh, Or I don't think I will. Um, Right here, this column is calls or puts. And right there is the price that he uh, paid, or he actually sold these. So he sold five MBK, May 15 calls, one and five sixteenths, It even tells me who he did it with over here, what firm, what clearing firm the order came from. And as soon as that order came in through this one, it tells me how many deltas the guy needed to hedge himself. 240 deltas. Or this trade right here, um, this is a Time Warner trade. He bought one Time Warner um, January of 2070 call for one and five eighths. Tells him. He needed to hedge 33 deltas on that trade. So what are guys... Yes, sir? Yes, sir? Nope, no zeros missing. Um, As you can see, the guys are relatively disciplined, except in Amoco, where they're 10,000 deltas short. But this was back in December last year, luckily, um, rather than today when oil stocks are rocking. Right. So like in MBK, we're short, and the guy's elected to lean short for that day or for that moment in that stock. Depending on how volatile the stock is, we'll be anywhere from 5,000 to 50,000 long or short for moments at a time. Um, and until, if, especially if it's trending, if the stock is trending really strongly, we'll ride it as long as we can. But at the end of the day, that whole column, all those black right there, will be under 1,000 deltas in every single stock we trade so that if we come in tomorrow, we don't wake up broke when Home Depot opens down 15 bucks. Um, anyway, let's see if we can hit the next page. This is another page of that system. that you can see, the reason I put this up here is, it shows you that here's all his buys and sells so far that day. And you can see, for instance, he bought one, Time Warner, Jan 70 call, one and five eighths. That was the trade on the previous screen. Here's all his stock trades. Notice. That even though we trade 30,000 options a day, look, these guys are doing 1s, 2s, 28 lots, 20 lots, 15, 20, 50. I mean, they do an awful lot of trade, and this is just one of the traders, um, but not all the trades are 50s, 100s, or 500 lots. The bulk of our trading is exactly against you guys. Anything under a 200 lot, they view as retail order flow. Not that it always is, because sometimes retail customers trade huge, but if it's under 200, it's retail. If it's over 200, they say it's institutional. So as you can see, that one is the only one potentially that was part of an institutional trade because maybe we did 50, and maybe there was a total of 300, and we did 50, shared the rest with the crowd. Over here, you can see the same thing. How quickly the guys are hedging! Um, they're selling a thousand shares, 100 shares, 900 shares, 600 shares as fast as they can, back and forth. That's what we do. They're dashing in front, back in front of the blade of that bulldozer just hedging themselves as quickly as they can and moving on to the next trade. That's how you make money as a floor trader. Um, if, if I wish that I could trade on your guys' time horizon. I mean, when you guys put on a trade, you can do the same thing that when I'm off the floor I can do. I try to move the odds in my favor as much as possible, just like all the folks out here at the card tables. I've got three guys that work for me that can't go into that casino and trade cards, because they can count five decks. In a game of blackjack Um, and I don't know about this place with the automated shufflers and all the rest of it but most casinos these guys can't play but the whole purpose of that is to move the odds in your favor before you move up your bets so you can move the odds in your favor before you uh, really put the significant dollars at risk with options and with the strategies that you guys already know some of them that I'll show you today you can do that also and you don't have a gun to your head to trade like I do I have to trade We're the ultimate buyer and seller when you're an options specialist. When the market's going straight down on Thursday, guess who is the buyer? I mean, how many of you were buying Thursday? Some of you probably were speculating, getting in and buying, and God bless you. For every one of you who weren't and who were selling, made me all the bigger buyer. And then I sold the stock. Because, like I said, I don't have uh, reg T. I don't have to worry about that. So as the market turned around and rallied on Friday, 8% in the NASDAQ or whatever it was, 7.5%. Um, as it turned around and did that. We were the ultimate seller. Who else wants to sell when the Dow's already up 150 points or when the NASDAQ looks like it's accelerating? It's only up 4% and it looks like it's accelerating and all the offers are disappearing on Cisco and Sun Micro and Micron. Um, Who wants to be the seller? I don't, and like I say, I'm not seeing any big crocodile tears welling up in your eyes about this, but I have to sell. Arthur Levitt will take away my ability to trade without Reg T. And I'll have to go back to trading on margin, which I don't want to do, if I'm not willing to stand down there and buy them when you're selling and sell them when you're buying. That's the job i got to do. You guys don't have to do that. So you can wait until the odds are so significantly in your favor and then put on a trade and give yourself enough time to be right. The reason most people lose money with options is that's what they don't do. They don't give themselves enough time to be right. Instead they go in there and buy something they think looks cheap and they get hosed, because. That stock didn't move in the time frame they put on because they bought an October option that expires next week on Friday instead of, you know, two, two weeks from now, the stock's up 10% or 20%, and they missed the ride because they bought the Octobers instead of Novembers or Decembers. Give yourself enough time to be right. Um, but if you want to play and you want to turn them into a casino, next week is a great week to do that. Expiration week, because the time value in the options is so much smaller. Yes, it's decaying at a very rapid rate. You're a floor trader, you know, and you guys as investors probably know very well, that the near-term options from 60 days out on, they decline very steeply. That time decay is so severe that on the floor the traders hiss, like air escaping a balloon, because they're imitating the premium coming out of those options in the final 60 days, 30 days, especially the final week of expiration. But it's also, since the premium has come out to such a point, you can buy a cheap option and take a shot. That's the week that I take shots when I'm taking shots. I don't do it a lot, but when I do it, I do it expiration week. And frequently on Monday, I'll try to find something at the money. doesn't matter if it's Sun Micro at 110 or whatever. I'll try to buy a call or a put at the money and sell the stock against it in a ratio and wait for that move that week. And if I get the move, it's like a home run. I mean, because those things go from... You know five-eighths of a dollar to three dollars and you don't often see an option go from ten to thirty but to see an option go from five-eighths um, to two and a quarter that's the triple and uh, you see a lot of that expiration week as the thing rocks around so that's when it's exciting for me to be down there trading as well um, what I'm going to do now is I think we'll start with the next slide I'm going to go uh, into this current portfolio repair hopefully something uh, that not everybody in the room needs, or hopefully only needed in a couple stocks, but what I did was I went and selected a number of stocks, in particular in the tech sector, that had had big fallouts, to show you a, a simple option strategy. It's in your books, um, but it's also, these, these slides, the difference, and the reason I had to plug my computer in is, that these slides are updated um, as of three days ago. The slides I had to send into trading markets are a month old, so obviously the market moved a lot in that month, and that's why the slides in your book will be different from the slides I'm gonna put up here now. All right, thank you, Bruce. So why would you need to do this? Well, you bought a stock prior to bad news. (laughs) Bad news like uh, earnings downgrade, soldiers being killed in the Gulf, all kinds of bad news that we've had lately, and for whatever reason, your stock is down. Um, Prior to CPR, or current portfolio repair, um, your choices were you could get religious and pray, um, or wait for a recovery, You could sell the stock for a loss and say, well, I got plenty of gains this year. I can take the loss on this one, put it against my capital gains. Or you could sell calls against the position. And there aren't too many calls that any of us can find that'll make me 20% or 40% if the stock goes up and they call my stock from me. Those kind of positions don't exist very often. So none of these three solutions were really a great solution. And that's why I wanted to suggest the following to you. This current portfolio repair. I picked Micron Technology because Micron um, is one of the stocks we're a specialist in, and anybody who follows chip stocks remembers this run from March of last year when Micron was over here in the $30 range and then just went off to the races and, in fact, peaked back there in um, August, I guess July, um, at 95 bucks a share or so, and since then has had this this huge slide with warnings from Intel and all the rest, but even though Micron beat the street estimates and crushed them. If anybody really trades that stock and watches it, you know they were looking for um, a number and they came out, I think, 20 cents better than that number, and they still crushed the stock. Um, so when all news is perceived as bad news, folks, you know you're in a bear market. And unfortunately, certainly for six weeks, we've been in a bear market. Those of you who are technicians might argue we've been in a bear market for longer than that. I'm hoping that some of the action we saw Friday sort of puts a floor in, in particular the action on Thursday. But anyway, this is the graph on Micron, and let's say that you'd purchased it back here in October, thinking that, oh my God, this looks like a a great place to get in. I was disciplined and held on and didn't buy it in the 90s, and it's down here at 50, and it looks maybe technically like that might have some levels where that might bounce from there, and maybe you had one or two days when you were right, and then this big dump down to 36 bucks a share. All right, Bruce. So if you were long 1,000 shares a micron at that price of 50, you're out 13,500 bucks. This trade that I'm gonna suggest to you is our repair strategy. You buy 10 Jan 40 calls, the right to buyers buy the stock at 40 bucks a share. Pay five bucks for them. These were actual prices three days ago. You sell 20 Jan 50 calls for two and three quarters. Two and three quarters twice is five and a half dollars. Everybody sees why that is, right? Because you're selling 20 contracts, you're collecting two and three quarters twice, twice is five and a half. So you got, took in a half point credit for doing that spread. It's so one of my rules, you can write it down if you want, um, is that when I look to do a repair strategy, I want to do it for no money or a credit for zero. That's my criteria for picking which month will I do this in. Because you might ask me, John, why didn't you pick November? John, why didn't you pick March? John, why didn't you pick whatever? I picked these strikes because I could still do it and do it for a credit or even money. And I had to move out to January to do that. At no additional cost to you as an investor, we've taken in this credit of a half a point point. and I don't care who you're doing business with. If you're doing business with Solomon Smith Barney or my firm you're not paying 500 bucks to do a 30 lot of options, are you? Is anybody paying 500 bucks to do 30 options? Raise your hand. Because if you are, I've got a bunch of customers that I can bring in right now. Um, this half point, I mean, if you're paying 5 bucks a contract, you're paying on, on those 30 contracts 150 bucks. So it cost you nothing, and net, after this 500, if you had to pay 150 in commissions, you're still 350 bucks ahead. The next best thing about this trade, you don't have to put up any additional margin. You might say, John, I'm short additional contracts. I'm short 10 by 20. No, you're not. 10 of those Jan 40 calls go against the Jan 50s. The other 10 is the 1,000 shares of stock that you already own that goes against the Jan 50s. You don't have to put up any additional margin.